Welcome to The Bull and the Bear, a money and markets podcast. We give you the advice you need to know to make investing safe and profitable. With The Bull and the Bear podcast, you'll get exclusive access to some of the top thinkers, analysts, advisors, and gurus in the investment business. And now for your hosts, Matt Clark and Charles Sizemore. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt Clark, research analyst for Money and Markets with your latest Bull and the Bear podcast. Just a reminder, if you do have a question or maybe you've got a particular stock or sector that you'd like us to take a look at and analyze for you, we would love to do that. Just email us at thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. Again, that's thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. Now, I want to really jump right into today's podcast because it kind of covers a topic that's been in, you know quite a bit in the news and the financial news of late over the last couple of months. Um, and, and it has to do with how companies can raise capital and how they become public. Now, typically, when a private company is looking to raise capital, they've got a couple options. Um, they can explore the potential of going public, or they can look at venture capital, look at private capital. They can you know, take out bank loans. They can do all sorts of things. One of the most common is to try to go public because that's a, a, a surefire way of being able to raise funds on the stock market. But it kind of is an arduous process. It's not very easy. It usually means filling out a lot of paperwork. Uh, you, you know, your ownership and your management typically goes on a road show to, you know, talk to investors about why they should invest in the company. And then there's always that hope that you get a nice share price uh, whenever you open your IPO the day you go public uh, with your initial public offering. But since the early 2000s, there's actually been another way for companies to go public without all that red tape. And it's really taken off this year. So that's why I think it's kind of important to talk about um, what these are. And what I'm referring to are what's called Special Purpose Acquisition Companies, or SPACs, S-P-A-C-S, SPACs. To put it simply, SPACs are companies that are formed with the, stri- with the sole purpose of merging or acquiring other companies. That is the only thing they are put together for. There's really no other rationale for putting together a SPAC. They're actually commonly known as blank check companies. So that, it's kind of alluring if you think about it. But basically, if you own a private company, you can merge with one of these SPACs and then immediately become public. So that means you don't have to file the paperwork, you don't have to get underwriters, you don't have to try to entice investors or go through the tasks of uh, the task list of, of, of putting together an IPO and getting an IPO launch. You basically are being bought by a SPAC, thus making you public, and that's it. Very simple. It's commonly known as reverse acquisition. It's basically where they're buying you and you're becoming the company. So. Uh, and the popularity of SPACs are actually growing. Now, consider this. In 2015, only about 20 SPACs went public. Now, last year, that number grew to 59. Now, we're in September of 2020, and we have already blown past 59. And we still have several months left, three months left in the year. So you can see that SPACs are actually very popular. What's more is the average size of IPOs for SPACs are close to $400 million this year. Now compare that to the average size of $71.8 million just a decade ago. So over 10 years, they have grown from an average of $71.8 million to now close to $400 million. So you can see the popularity. That's just more verification that the popularity of SPACs is on the rise. And the way it works is really pretty simple. I've kind of talked about it a little bit, but let me get into a little more detail. So the founders of the SPAC, will put together a SPAC and they'll already have maybe one or two companies that they're targeting for an acquisition. They're not gonna tell you what it is. They're not gonna say what that company is. They're probably not even gonna tell you even what, uh, what sector it's in when they form the SPAC. 
Now, the drawback is, is that as an investor, when that SPAC goes public and say you want to invest in that SPAC and buy some of that SPAC stock, you really have no idea what they're investing in. You have no clue. It could be a company that makes widgets in Illinois. It could be a 5G-based company in California. It could be citrus producers here in Florida. It could be any number of things, and you'll have no idea when you make that trade to buy into that SPAC. And so that's, a, that's kind of a drawback if you're investing in a SPAC. Now, when a SPAC goes public, all the funds that are raised from that IPO are put into some sort of an account like an escrow because those are the funds that are going to be used to make the acquisition that the SPAC is planning on targeting. Um, so it's not, you know, they, they raise uh, $300 million. That $300 million is going to go into an escrow account because they're going to use that $300 million to then acquire whatever company they're trying to acquire. And SPACs usually give themselves about two years, about 24 months to complete the targeted acquisition or they'll give the funds back to SPAC investors. So it's kind of a, a good thing for investors because, you know, if they say, like say, let's say I have a SPAC, okay, I've created this SPAC and I have the intention of investing in company ABC Incorporated. Now, if after two years, I can't make that, in, that, that happen, either talks break down, we can't meet a price or maybe I lose interest or whatever, then I take all that money, which is in escrow, remember, and I return it back to all the investors and I say, here's your money back. Sorry, we didn't make it happen, but here you go. So it makes very little risk to investors whenever you are buying stock in a SPAC. And now all that money sits in escrow because they really don't touch it, but they can actually get working capital because they can use the interest earned on the money in that escrow account to be used as working capital for the SPAC if they need it. More oftentimes than not, they don't but they can do that, it is an option. So that way they're not dipping into that original pool of money that investors like you and I have given them whenever they launch their IPO, they're just using interest earned on whatever they put in escrow. It's kind of like your savings account, you can, you, know, or you can use the interest you earn on your savings account to do whatever, but you're still keeping that core, that core base of money in the savings account. So like I said, it creates a, 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 a kind of a nice benefit for investors because it limits your risk. You basically get your money back if the funds aren't invested or if the SPAC decides to liquidate. So that's one thing that can happen after two years. The SPAC doesn't make its acquisition. So it liquidates itself, takes all that money and gives it back to investors. As an investor in a SPAC, you may not know right away, like I said, the target of an acquisition, but you eventually do get a say in it. If you don't like the target, you can pull your money out of the SPAC and say, okay, I'm selling my shares. I don't want, I, this is not a company I want to, you know, I want to buy, I want us to buy. Or you can actually vote for a different acquisition. You can say, okay, well, you know, the, the, the widget company in Illinois is nice, but I actually like the citrus company in Florida. I think maybe we should invest in that instead. So you vote to say, okay, no to Illinois, but let's invest in the company in Florida. So you actually do have uh, a bit of a say eventually in what company the SPAC buy. You may not necessarily win the vote. You may get overridden. At that point, you can decide to either go with the flow or take your money out, whichever you choose. Now, on the company side, there's a difference between a SPAC and venture capital. Um, and, and, and that's because, as an investor rather, uh, you usually have absolutely no say in how your money is invested with venture capital. So if you give your money to a venture capitalist, they can invest your money in whatever they feel like is in the best interest of, of, of your money. With a SPAC, like I said, you actually get a say in, 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 what, you're, in, in what the company buys. And, and also for a company, there's a kind of a time frame for IPOs to launch to, to have success. And, and you want to kind of hit that sweet spot with an IPO. Otherwise, you could kind of fall flat. 
Um, you could obviously IPOs usually bounce and then they come back down. If you launch at the right time, that downward trend isn't necessarily nearly as bad as it is any other time. But none of that happens with a SPAC because you know a SPAC is a reverse of the process of a company going public. Traditional IPOs involve a company selling its shares to an investment bank. Uh, you, they pay underwriters to get initial investors. But with a SPAC, you don't have to worry about that. The money is raised in selling the shares in what's basically called a shell company. I know that kind of has a negative connotation to some folks, but uh, for this purpose, it's kind of the, mo the most accurate uh, definition of what a SPAC is. It's a shell company. Um, and then the private company is bought with those funds and turns public. Very simple. No, no fuss, no muss. There has been a couple pretty high profile examples of, of when a SPAC was used to send a company public. In April of 2020, DraftKings Incorporated, the popular sports betting site, uh, trades on the NASDAQ under DKNG. Uh, it merged with uh, a SPAC, Diamond Eagle Acquisition Corp. The SPAC uh, provided DraftKings with about $700 million in funding. And then Diamond Eagle was liquidated on May 1st after the, after the uh, acquisition was finalized. So DraftKings was private. They were bought by Diamond Eagle. Diamond Eagle liquidates. And now DraftKings is a public company. And they have $700 million in funding. So uh, very simple process. Uh, a little bit different, in, in August of 2019, the space flight company Virgin Galactic Holdings Incorporated, trained on the New York Stock Exchange under SPCE, uh, finished a reverse merger with uh, Social Capital Holdings, uh, and Virgin Galactic got about $800 million from the reverse merger, and then another $460 million in a secondary offering just last month. So again, Virgin Galactic was private, they were bought by Social Capital, Social Capital then turns the company, turns Virgin Galactic public, and now you're able to raise funds on the stock market. Another benefit to using a SPAC for a company is that these times are kind of uncertain, both for the stock market and the economy. We've seen the, the stock market, even ever since hitting lows in March, um, reach all-time highs, almost. Um, especially when you consider how lows the March were, the, the lows in March were. But now, even just in the period of about four days or so, even the NASDAQ has pulled back and lost 10%. So this is very up and down. The economy also very up and down. Um, and, and so using a SPAC to raise capital uh, and go public is a lot easier than taking the overall risk of launching an IPO. Plus, look at a company like Nikola Incorporated, trades on the NASDAQ under NKLA. This is a uh, kind of a Tesla offshoot, if you will, uh, but they kind of look at trucks, developing trucks that are, are electrically charged. Um, it's a company that really has, has needed to raise a lot of capital, but has had no uh, revenue, no profit to sell to potential investors. So basically you, you wanna to go to investors and say, here's our balance sheet, look how good we are, you wanna invest in us. Nikola couldn't do that because they don't have any revenue, they don't have made any profit. Um, so instead they turned to a SPAC and to, to make that capital raise a reality. Otherwise, Nikola would still be a company struggling to make a profit with no strong prospects for an IPO because they really don't have a product they've released yet. Um, and, and SPACs can raise a lot of money. Depending on who backs them, these SPACs can turn in a lot of money for capital. If you look at Bill Ackman's Pershing Square Tonti Holdings, uh, trades on the New York Stock Exchange under PSTH-UN. Uh, it's a SPAC that's raised $4 billion in July. And according to Renaissance, it is the largest SPAC to date. That's $4 billion with a B that this SPAC has raised. But there's been some SPACs that really haven't panned out. Uh, one such is Alta Mesa Resources. They filed for bankruptcy protection only after being formed in February of 2018. Their initial plan was to invest in oil and gas wells in Oklahoma, and that really didn't pan out. So now they're, bank now they're filed for bankruptcy protection. Another drawback to using a SPAC uh, for, for investors specifically 
is that it's really hard to find issues with the business model of a company when they don't go through the traditional IPO roadshow. Um, now, the roadshow usually entails uh, company management going on the road and talking with many kinds of different kinds of investors, showing the business plan, showing the financial model, showing the, the, the showing all the finances, really opening up the books to these investors. Now, if you look at WeWork, there was a lot of holes poked in that business model, which is why WeWork decided the IPO wasn't such a good idea because their business model wasn't great. But with a SPAC, you really don't have that. You're relying on the SPAC to do that due diligence as opposed to the roadshow, which will do that due diligence as well. So it can be a drawback unless you've got a SPAC that has management that's kind of on top of their game. Investing in a SPAC as an investor isn't a bad thing. But SPACs have had actually negative returns from about 2016 to 2019, according to Avery Spear with Renaissance Capital. But regardless, SPACs are becoming more and more popular for investors and for companies to who are looking to raise capital, uh, but don't want to really go through the headache of an IPO. So that's what I have on SPACs. Hope that, that answers some questions that you have. You see a lot of SPAC talk and headlines, and you might wonder, what exactly is that? Kind of want to give an, an overview of what they are. Um, make sure you check out our YouTube channel. Just head over to youtube.com, uh, search Money and Markets. We've got the green logo and uh, make sure that you uh, click on that logo, hit subscribe, and, and then uh, you'll get a notification, a little bell that comes up, asks if you want to be notified. Get notified because then you'll be able to get instantly notified whenever we post new videos. And those videos usually come out about a day or so before we put them on moneyandmarkets.com. So you actually become kind of an insider if you're subscribing and getting notified on YouTube. It works the same for the bull and the bear if you're listening to us as a podcast, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, whatever, you can actually be notified whenever we release on those podcast channels and you'll get the podcast first before it comes out on Money and Markets. Make sure to leave us a review or a comment on any of, our, any of those platforms, whether it's YouTube or any of our podcast channels. We love your feedback, uh, whatever it happens to be. If you have a question or a particular stock or sector you want us to look at, just a reminder, uh, make sure you email us at thebullandbear at moneyandmarkets.com. Uh, we'd love to do that as well. Coming up uh, at the end of the week, I'll have Money and Markets Chief Investment Strategist Adam O'Dell uh, with me. We will dive into a couple stocks, let you know if they're ones you should look at or maybe ones you should stay away from. We'll use his proprietary green zone stock rating system uh, that has been a proven winner. And so you don't want to miss that. So until then, uh, I'm Money and Markets uh, Research Analyst Matt Clark uh, and host of The Bull and the Bear, wishing you all safe trading. You've been listening to The Bull and the Bear, a Money and Markets podcast. Tune in each week to hear insights on how to make investing safe and profitable for you. 